Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's Alm in the morning. Jamie Allman here with you. So uh, we had this very awkward, weird event yesterday at the White House, and it was Joe Biden and the President of Israel. And uh, Joe Biden is sitting there with his cue card in his lap, and he is talking to the President, and you can barely understand the... Uh, Seventy-five years. Seventy-five years. It's hard to believe. Hard to even remember about two-thirds of those. He doesn't remember two-thirds of the seventy-five years that Israel's been in, in, uh, in existence. He had to look actually on his card to see whether or not uh, it was seventy-five years. We brought Israelis and Palestinians together at a political level, and they And uh, as I uh, don't worry, don't worry. I know you can't understand a word he's saying. I can't either. He doesn't either. And the president of Israel doesn't either. Chanel Rian with One America News, one of my faves. She knows a little bit about the White House, not only about this thing that happened yesterday, but also about the Coke. So how you doing? Hey, Jamie. Well, I thought that I... I thought uh, you had left something behind out here in D.C., no? <laughs> still trying to find suspects. It couldn't possibly be the former coke addict who does live at the White House. It's not him. Don't dare mention his name. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how they just kind of put a lock on this thing and decided yeah. they were going to not going to investigate any further. But there's so much more to this because, I mean, you know that area of the White House and—, and uh, you know that there are cameras everywhere, and so for some reason, wherever this Coke was, was a blind spot, correct? <laughs> there are no blind spots in the White House. Oh. If they really wanted to get to the bottom of it, they would, and they know who did it, and this is why they have to uh, feign innocence. Um, I had very, very early reports, and these were not, these were all on background, and they wouldn't, like, uh, go on record about this because it was unconfirmed. But uh, a couple of the guys said that inside the Secret Service said that they, they didn't even bother collecting DNA evidence because they immediately knew whose it was. Now, again, there's no official language out there confirming that, but it's pretty remarkable if some of the Secret Service guys on the inside say that in the first 48 hours of the bag being discovered. Now, it's emblematic, Jamie, of a much larger problem, as it always is. Right, these little problems and these little scandals that you notice popping up inside the Biden White House are almost always symbolizing something much more nefarious, and that is, this is a White House that absolutely believes that it can dictate the rules and the laws to everybody else in the country. But when it comes to the rules and the laws that apply to them, they are supposed to be invincible. They are the ones in power. They deserve to get away with it because they have gone through so much, Jamie. And that's the mentality that you will see time and again in this administration, whether it's 
Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, his brother, uh, Joe's brother, or it's middle-level staffers or uh, cabinet-level officials and across the board. This is a mentality, and it came through with the cocaine story. Yeah, I mean, I, no doubt about it. And and you know, they know who it is. They they know who it is, right? They do. I, I they, they won't say that. Um, members of Congress don't believe the Secret Service when they say that, that they don't know who it was. So right now, Tom Cotton and a handful of senators are getting together. They're demanding a report from Secret Service to brief the American people on the security level of the White House. And that's something that we are, we are currently waiting on because obviously they closed the investigation. But at this moment, no new developments out of this story. And again, emblematic of a much broader problem. The thing that surprises me, and, and, and again, these Secret Service guys are great uh, and, and, and they're, they're good people, supposedly. I'm not quite sure I understand how... You could have an outfit like this cover this up. I, I, I really don't understand that because it's clearly it's clearly a cover up. There's a, there's no doubt about that, correct? There's very little doubt there is. I mean, of course, anything is possible, Jamie. Like anything's possible. Of course, like a construction worker who kind of wandered through the West Wing and dropped it off in there and forgot about it. That's possible. So, point one percent chance of that being possible, but. The cover-up has to happen from the top. It has to happen from the very, very top. And this is a very difficult position that Secret Service is being placed in, right? They're being placed in a position where they are, they are supposed to give their life for this man that they are protecting and his family. If that man and his family are put in harm's way, Secret Service is expected to jump in front of a bullet for them. And so now... They're being asked to potentially throw them under the bus. It's a very difficult position to put Secret Service in. Think about it. I mean, they're standing there saying, "I do I need a, do I throw the man under the bus, the very same man that I'm supposed to die for? Yeah. Well, again, that, that's what I'm trying to figure out is uh, there's there's got to be – it's scary uh, to, to know that – if the Secret Service is involved in keeping things quiet, I mean, I understand that they have to protect the president and do all that kind of stuff. That's a that's a physical end. That's a, that's the job. I get it. Uh, but this is a crime. Oh, it is a crime. But they will they will make sure that it's not a crime. They'll make sure that it goes away. Everyone will forget about it. And if a Republican dares do anything like this, um, the entire compound will be locked down and thrown in jail but that's that's the way it seems to operate and again does not have to do with the lower level secret service agents it has to do with orders that are coming in from the top and how they compartmentalize information and access so in this case it's not the whole secret service that's covering anything up it's maybe people that you can count on one hand and that's all it takes at this level yeah I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, after seeing what happened with the FBI uh, and and seeing how this whole thing went down, uh, I just think that there's a real problem when you have people in these positions who are just uh, 
glossing things over and ignoring what is clearly a crime and a problem. Uh, and, and let's just pretend uh, that it was Hunter Biden or or whoever. I mean, I, I know I heard Ted Cruz say he doesn't think it was Hunter Biden. It was maybe somebody else. Uh, what do you think? What are people you're talking to thinking? I lean more towards the, the idea that this is either Hunter or his dealer or whoever is handling his his stream of his stash or whatever it is you call it. Um, I think it is tied to him. And he probably operates in a way that, that if we actually did find someone, if we did actually identify a name, then he would find a way to make sure that there were like three people removed and there were different handlers. I don't know. Yeah. I, at this point, it's very. It's going to be very difficult to decipher. Um, it's just like think about think about the Hillary Clinton story and the bleach bit and the hammers, <laughs> destroying evidence right there for all to see, and nothing ever happens because there's no there's no evidence anymore. They destroyed the evidence. Um, yeah. I think that's what quickly facing it'll be. It'll be thrown down the memory hole. Um, I. I think that the, my counter to Senator Cruz's position is I think that if they, if it was a different person other than Hunter, the White House would have absolutely thrown them under the bus and absolutely revealed them to get the pressure off of Hunter and his family. Yeah, uh, I, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Chanel, we are with. I'm sorry, what? In a heartbeat. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Absolutely. Because the only other options are it's a staffer or a staffer's family, or some lower-level employee at the White House who has access to the West Wing, it would have been any one of those people, and the White House would have no qualms about throwing them out front and center and saying, oh, it was this person who had, you know, accidentally had access to the White House. Jamie, it's, it's very clear that there is a known drug addict who lives at the White House, and those addicts don't often get out of it. Yeah. No doubt. And by the way, does Hunter Biden like have a? Does he sleep there? Does he have a room there? Supposedly he does. He goes in and out of the uh, White House a uh, lot. And I don't know if he has an assigned room, but we know that he walks in and off, off and on the compound um, almost daily. Yeah. Where else does he go? Where does he? Where does he reside? The in D.C. Well, he has uh, his his daughters live in D.C., and so we think that sometimes he trades off and goes and lives with them. But I, yeah. I think honestly, part of the uh, motivation of living near the White House in the White House is possibly to avoid getting served with more, you know, court papers. She whiz. He's like a vagrant. It's so weird. That uh, they need they need to build they need to build a bridge at the White House for him to live under. So yeah. call it the uh, the Jamie Allman endowment, <laughs> right? Exactly. I'm from the Heartland. I'm not. I'm not paying for any bridge. <laughs> so no, uh, I don't think you're either. <laughs> so you, the uh, Saint Corrine, do you um, do you have uh, what kind of relationship do you have with her? Nothing. She has done everything she can to avoid talking to me, avoid looking at me, avoid everything she can to uh, communicate. I sent questions over to her office. I've requested meetings. Um, and she's known. And it's not just me. Other reporters have this experience with her as well. 
um, you try to get a meeting with her, and she's suddenly like, oh, no, 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 everyone's, uh, you know, her handlers get involved, close the door, and say, no, 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 she's busy. She's, she's living in a very protected ivory tower of, uh, of her own making, mostly out of fear. She is terrified of that podium, and it shows on a daily basis. Um, so she really minimizes her contact with the press. She has to communicate with some of the bigger liberal press allies like New York Times and Washington Post. But beyond that, it's very rare that you ever get FaceTime with Kareem. And uh, they're very careful about who has access to her. It's completely different from past administrations. Yeah. So she doesn't even look at you, huh? <laughs> as soon as she gets close to the row where I'm standing, then she kind of like goes back to the front row and starts asking at the very beginning again. <laughs> wow. Well, she and I guess your experience, I mean, is she uh, more unpleasant than Raggedy Jen or is, is she uh, is right? Does she make Raggedy Jen look like, you know, the good witch? You know, it's hard to compare. You know, Jen was at least a little more comfortable in what she she was doing. Um, and thereby a little more, um, I don't know, thick, thicker skin. Right. Cringe on Pierre, thin skin. And so unable to handle the pressures of this job. Um, that minimizing of, of access to her really obscures any understanding of who she actually is. Yeah, that that's that's usually a sign of people who kind of know they're incompetent deep down inside and know they don't really know what they're doing and so they cover up for it in a variety of different ways and and, and i i think you nailed that i could i could tell just by looking at her and how she comports herself that deep down inside she really knows that she doesn't know what she's really do, doing i think i don't mean to be mean i'm just saying very difficult to watch it's painful to watch actually yeah because they have this controlling behavior you know, and, and, and they try to kind of uh, one-up you in a variety of different ways and, and because they know there's kind of a hole in their life a little bit. I don't need to be – I'm not a psychotherapist, but uh, sometimes you can tell those kind of things. Because uh, also yesterday, uh, she, you know, she for two minutes refused to condemn Congresswoman Jayapal for her comments about Israel being a racist oh, state and beyond. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The word games they had to play. The Biden White House has been scrambling over this Israel uh, optics problem. The Democrat Party, Joe Biden's party, has been uh, increasingly vocally anti-Semitic. And it's not a secret. People have noticed this. They're being blatant about Diapol saying Israel is a racist state. That's just one of her many statements that are so blatantly anti-Semitic. Now, the White House scrambled. And they had to break their silent treatment of Bibi and Netanyahu and call Netanyahu and invite him to the White House. This is extraordinary because, you know, Joe Biden is really upset with Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. Biden does not want Israel to expand its Supreme Court system, right? That's, that's his beef. And that's hilarious considering that Joe Biden himself has opened a committee to expand our own Supreme Court system to explore that idea. So the contradictions there are not going unnoticed by the Israeli delegation. And Karine Jean-Pierre completely word-saladed her condemnation of Jayapal. It wasn't even, not a condemnation, her defense of Jayapal, saying Jayapal apologized. Jayapal did not apologize. 
She simply rewarded her statement and said, look, words hurt. Didn't apologize. She said that that the words that she put out are probably hurtful, but, you know, Israel as an idea isn't racist. That's not an apology. She then doubled down, Jayapal doubled down and said that Benjamin Netanyahu and his government are and his policies are racist. Doubled down. So Karine Jean-Pierre lied again when she said that Jayapal apologized. She did nothing of the sort. Well, even when you look at the news media and how they covered the whole Israel story to begin with when the president came here, and I I think Joe Biden is lucky that Netanyahu didn't come because the differences and the contrast would have been so stark, it would have been embarrassing for Joe Biden. But anyway, the president comes, and then the, the news media summarily starts to talk about the right-wing government uh, and, 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 and how Israel is somehow some kind of aggressor and all this kind of stuff. It reminds me of the days of Obama when he would write uh, op-eds telling Israel to calm down uh, after they get shelled by the Palestinians. Okay, calm down, Israel. You shouldn't be so uh, – don't be so angry about this. I mean, it, they are treated so unfairly by the left. Oh, no doubt. They absolutely are. And uh, the left uh, completely gaslights this whole story, saying that they are the champions of of all races, creeds, and colors, when they're nothing of the sort, Jamie. This is, it just boils down to the fact that they are gaslighting. The left is gaslighting their altruity, alt- altruism and absolutely keeping their true selves behind a series of masks. If, if, if you ever wondered why they loved those respiratory masks back in the day when we had COVID, that's why. It was just one more mask to cover up who they really are. Right. Yeah. So you couldn't say, now I know how you look when you lie, you know, that kind of thing. Hey, so <laughs> you, you, you are, you've been in journalism a long time. You know a little bit about words, and I, I uh, really am confused how this word nationalism has become a pejorative. They used it to describe Israel, uh, and man, there's nobody who needs to be uh, more nationalistic than Israel, given they're surrounded by a bunch of people who want to destroy them. Uh, why is nationalism such a bad thing? Because it is the opposite. It is the antonym of globalism, right? Globalism is the plan. Globalism is the agenda. Nationalism ruins that agenda. Simple as that. It's really, it's a great point. I love that you're putting that up, but it's like, it's, the answer is quite simple. They, they see it as a threat to the agenda of centralizing dollars, of putting central banks in control of everything, of putting the World Health Organization in control of your life, of putting the government in control of your daily decisions. Nationalism gets in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah, the people who get all uh, pearl-clutchy about the word nationalism or being people being nationalistic, they're the same people who like the whole no-labels thing and non-binary this and don't uh, don't – uh, don't stand up for yourself here and stand up for yourself there. I think there's a running theme, as you just kind of alluded to. There is, and it's uh, it's pretty easy to identify with the left. Yeah. Um, and they, they get more desperate as they lose the war. Their tactics become more evident, and uh, we're seeing that 
all over. And at some point, people get upset enough that they boil over and they revolt. And I hope that we're going to see a lot of pushback against these, these trends. And part of that starts with just everyday people waking up and saying no. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Chanel, uh, great work on One America News. Where can we follow you just to make sure everybody's kind of plugged into Chanel's world? Yeah, make sure you download our app, OAM Live. Um, tune in on the weekends. We've got uh, lots of specials going on every weekend. So I've got a big Ukraine update that I'm putting out probably this week or the next weekend. But keep your eye out on that. Stay tuned to OAM Live. Download it. Or follow me on Twitter, Chanel Rian, and uh, we'll keep the world informed as best we can from where we are. Yeah. Am I the only one that has come to the conclusion that Zelensky is really annoying or have? <laughs> he... No, and, and uh, as, as people learn more about what he's doing with the money we're spending, I think people will start getting a little more yes. upset. So so you're on that because that's what we've been talking about here on the show is that all these billions of dollars going over there and there's no accounting for it. There's no uh, – there, we don't even know where it's going. No, no, we don't. And uh, the accounting department at the Pentagon also needs a lot of help. Oh, I'm sure. I, I I don't know whether it's just that they just don't know or they just don't care at this point. Uh, and, and I mean, you'd think that this should also have a little bit of congressional oversight because the Republicans are controlling the House right now and the purse strings. You wonder why they haven't come up with some kind of system where they can account for where the money is going and where, where, where it's headed. It's not. I don't think it's that. I think it's uh, that they're so big, they think that you don't care. Yeah. What they think... You don't care, they can get away with everything. Right. Yeah. Well, all the all the COVID money is a great example of that. You know, there's billions of dollars. Well, I think it's upwards of trillion, a couple trillion dollars in fraud and all kinds of stuff with that money. So we've got a lot of money trailing to do. That we do. Yeah. All right, Chanel. Well, say hi to Cortland and the little one. How's he doing? They're doing great. They are uh, eager to get out of the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I am sure. All right, Chanel Rian, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the time, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, everyone. All righty. That's Chanel Rian with One America News. Your phone calls are welcome, 314-566-6104. It's Common Sense Radio, Almond in the Morning. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Thursday to all of you. This is Allman in the Morning, and it's Common Sense Radio. Jamie Allman here with you, and privileged to be so. It does appear, as we wake up this morning, uh, that the Country Music Television Network is about to go Bud Lighty as uh, the protests against its removal of the Jason Aldean Video, the music video, uh, are now at Fever Pitch, another place that apparently doesn't know its brand for whatever reason. And that is kind of the controversy of the week among many controversies of the week that seemingly are never end. There's always a new one every day. Father Tom Miller of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, good morning to you and happy Thursday as usual. And uh, we're just trying to get along with a smile on our face with all this craziness, buddy. How you doing? 
I'm doing well, Jamie. You're absolutely right. Uh, every week, big, yeah, there's a new absurdity from the left. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't keep up with it. Yeah. You're right. Uh, country music, uh, whatever it is, television, just bud lighting themselves in a profound way. You know, uh, it's a great video. It's a good, good little video celebrating small towns and basically the message is small towns don't put up with the garbage that big cities do because so many of our big cities are becoming lawless, uh, just messes. Sad. Yeah. It is so sad what has happened to St. Louis City. Well, it, it's it's incredible, uh, Father Tom, how, how you know, you, 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 the, the, the one thing about the Jason Aldean video, let's just take that example, and and that is that as as Jason Aldean pointed out, there's not one shred of video in that music video that we put together here that isn't real. I mean, it, every oh, everything he, he's showing is actually depicting a real event with real people involved. Yep. Yeah, and we're told constantly by you know the in the media, oh, this is this is normal America. You know, it's a mostly peaceful protest. The buildings are burning behind them, whatever that guy was on CNN or whatever. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. We're all seeing with our eyes and hearing with our ears. This is a bunch of garbage. Right. And I, I think sometimes it's it's hard to, uh, you know, yesterday I alluded to this, and, and I don't think it's, it doesn't, doesn't take any sage to kind of come to the conclusion. But, man, it does really appear that there is really a parallel universe at play here there there are people who uh in the news media mostly uh but also in the political structure who just don't exist in the same real world that we do they live they live in a world where they can find cocaine in the white house and we're supposed to just sit there and be told that they don't know who it is and the investigation's over and no, no normal human being lives the way that these people live. Oh, absolutely, Jamie. I mean, you're spot on. It's we are we are called. I mean, this is how the media works and the cabal that works with them. We're called to ignore the obvious and believe the absurd. Right. You know, and it is so tiresome. Well, it, it, it's like you know, and we have exclusive video of Jack Smith getting a subway sandwich. It's like. None of that is remotely plausible that any of this is organic or real. And and they all think that it is. It's so weird watching them lather themselves up with all kinds of craziness and tomfoolery well, and, 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 and lies. And uh, we just don't, you know. This is, this is the, the left has unmoored themselves from reality for so long. So, I mean, this is the 50th year since Roe v. Wade, right? 2023. So they, they went for broke in 1973 with an attack on reality and life by assaulting motherhood of trying to undefine life, human life. And so they, they've had 50 years of further, <laughs> further drifting from the truth. And so this is the type of stories we get to 50 years down the road. Yeah. We're asked to pretend that what is obvious and anybody with a, even a small shred of common sense knows there's nothing wrong with this. Go, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with this. Nothing to see here. Instead, look at this. Uh, here's this woman, this transgender woman just won this race, and we want to celebrate it. <laughs> right. We want to celebrate that. Give me a break. 
Yeah, yeah. No, no. She's he. He really does think that he's a yeah. a woman, and it's like we have, yeah, but, but he's not. Him. You know? Oh yeah, no, no. Yes, exactly. yes, he is. Call him he. She. I was like, no, it's not. It's not happening. It's not. That's not bigotry, and we've been down that road before. No, it's not bigotry. This is reality. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I was I'm think- sorry. Reality hurts your feeling. Nobody has a right to go through life without hurt feelings. Get over yourself. Yeah. I hate to say that, but that seems to be one of the the unspoken creeds of the left. Well, you can't do unless you're, uh, you know, uh, a white supremacist. In which case, I guess your feelings should always be hurt. Yeah, they're apparently everywhere. When you don't agree with the left, that's automatically what you are, no matter what your complexion is. Uh, no, no doubt about it. I was uh, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about you the other day. Is it was it your brother? Was he in Vietnam? Did he serve in Vietnam? Two, two of them. John and Jim were both in Vietnam. John got drafted, and Jimmy joined. Oh wow! That's that's, that's... So when I was when I was born. John was in boot camp in 1966. Wow! Uh, getting ready to go over to Vietnam, and then Jimmy enlisted. Uh, somewhat against my parent, my mother's wishes. Dad was okay with him enlisting, but. Mom wasn't too keen on having two boys over there. Yeah, right. And that was that was some those were some rough times that in that early stage there. For yeah. for for whatever reason, and I I don't know exactly, can't remember exactly how it happened. Maybe it was with the release or not so release of some of the Kennedy files by Joe Biden, and I got into this loop, and and I followed up again with it yesterday. Where you know because I noticed the last you know couple minutes of this of this narration of John Kennedy and Jackie at Love Field and they arrived and then they were on their way into Dallas uh, and the last tail end of the video the guy who is the reporter narrating it and says well you know and and it's going to be a busy weekend for. President Kennedy, he's going to go to Austin, and he's going to be at the LBJ Rants, and he's going to meet up with Henry Cabot Lodge, who is fresh back from Vietnam and the changeover of the government there in South Vietnam, and he's got some choices to make and blah, 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 blah. And then, then I started reading up, up on it, and the month before, the, the month of Kennedy's assassination, it was really a tumultuous time in Vietnam. That was where Diem was uh, ultimately there was a coup and the U.S. took part or at least, you know, waved over the coup and and wound up mm-hmm. Diem and his brother were both shot dead. And, it, and, and that really started the ball rolling because we had advisors over there at the time. And uh, there was this ongoing configuration with South Vietnam and North Vietnam and ultimately, that's ultimately what drew, lured us into the war. And b- based on some documentation, it, it appears that that weekend, right before Kennedy's assassination, he was going to kind of pull the plug because he was he was he was uh, crushed over the U.S.'s blood on its hands over the assassination of this Diem character, and and he, he had a severe mistrust. Of the CIA, which was basically running the show there, and mm-hmm. it all is so haunting to me because I feel like, like part of the assassination was geared towards trying to keep Kennedy from keeping us out of the war there, 
and, yeah. and it was. I, I think you're not alone in thinking that. You know, there seems to certainly be more and more evidence that uh, President Kennedy was uh, removed from office by people and what you and I have derided forever in the perma state, the deep state. And, you know, maybe not directly, but uh, some degrees away. And that's, yeah, I, there's no, I have zero confidence in the perma state at all and these bureaucrats and I can't think of any three-letter agency worth keeping. Yeah. Well, and, and, one. and then I watched the speech in Fort Worth. I, 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 I really get dragged into these things really easily, dude. I, I mean, I'm like. Good. Well, those, those but, are good rabbit holes. Yeah. Those are good deep dives into things and trying to, trying to make sense of some things and see its relevance to the day. I think that's very good. More people need to do that. You know, turn off yeah. garbage TV and do things like that. Well, I, I watched the speech in Fort Worth, which was uh, that morning. It was at a breakfast, and John Kennedy was talking about all the various military industrial complex corporations that were based in Texas and, 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 and all these bomb makers and plane makers and everything else yeah. down there in, in Fort Worth, namely. And then, it real, then, then you realize, so that day, LBJ takes the oath of office, and then he winds up fully immersing us in the war uh, because he would refuse to, he didn't want to lose South Vietnam. He said, we're not going to lose South Vietnam. And so we wind up getting in this war, and the main beneficiaries of all the military-industrial complex role in that is just so happens to be LBJ's state. Right. I, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, Conservatives, not Republicans, conservatives, libertarians point back to the famous speech by Eisenhower when he was leaving office that, hey, and he knew he was a military guy. Here's one of the heroes of World War II saying, you know, we have this military complex, industrial complex here that hungers for more money. Yeah. And hungers for more utilization. And it comes at the price of life. Yeah. Forget the millions and billions of dollars wasted how about just lives ground up and disregarded because uh, somebody who doesn't have skin in the game really there's not their kids going out there or even them um because they have ulterior motives and goals the meat grinder buddy we you, uh, you know what's crazy about that speech father tom i think you'll find this fascinating so for all of his prowess in the military and, and obviously then that, that as president, Eisenhower also mistrusted the military industrial complex uh, machine and the, and the three-letter word agencies, so much so that his brother was the one who wrote the speech. He wouldn't let anybody else write the speech because he didn't want them to know what he was going to say. Oh, so, that's awesome. So I, I know that kid, that's sweet. That's yeah. like a stealth bomb coming in. <laughs> yeah, I, Eisenhower's brother wrote the speech. That's so awesome. Well, what, you know, one of the other things that happened during his, his tenure is that's when sugar got shoved down our throats and fat got maligned. And we know right now sugar is much more a culprit of the illness in American life than healthy fats. Healthy fats are actually good for you, but there was the whole thing with this. I'm sorry, it's a side topic, but it just yeah. so much happened in Eisenhower's reign right after his his presidency right after World War II that we're suffering with now. We're suffering with the repercussions of these 
seminal realities that were trying to grow and percolate, and they've gone, some of them gone terribly wild. Well, I think that's awesome that his brother wrote it, so they didn't know. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 he wanted to keep it out of the hands of people who either would prevent him from saying it or would try to right. adjust it or water it down, so he had his brother do the speech for him. Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And can you ima- imagine the nerve of these people in the perma state? Oh, you can't say that as a president. You know, bite me. I'm the president. You guys, you know, get rid of all of them. I know you may not be able to fire all these people, but rot- give them no money and starve them on the vine. That's what you do with all these agencies. Yeah, uh, no doubt. You don't need funding. Yeah, and I think so many Americans really are on that page. And obviously what President Trump talks about really resonates with people. And, man, I, they're, they're, this, they're more fearful than they were in 2016. I can't – I'm, I'm only worried about what they're going to do when the reality hits them that there's a strong possibility he's going to be the 47th president of the United States. Hmm. I mean, uh, a great ungluing will occur if that happens. I, <laughs> I pray it does. And I'm, I'll, I'll join you with the popcorn and the gin to watch the great ungluing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to save that term because I, because, you know, you look at the great awakening and the enlightenment and all these, these epic t- times. And I think the, the great ungluing will be something we need to reserve for. Well, they'll come unglued. Time. I mean, they'll be falling apart in all the scenes. Yeah. And uh, if that comes to pass, you know, I want to see the right people panic. I want to see the right people. And this is all the permissive people and people in the media who have been arrogant for decades. Finally yeah. know, hey, you know what? You're not the lords of the land that can act with impunity anymore. There's yeah. a reckoning that's coming from the American people. We're tired of it. Well, and Father Tom Miller, you know, I, I am uh, worried because you know they, they don't know where we are i feel i feel like i feel like they are kind of uh, remember uh, peter sellers and the pink panther and oh, yeah. and he would be creeping around and kato would be hiding yeah uh, always in his home he'd come home and kato would always yeah. ambush him he would kato kato and and, and kato would Man. jump out of nowhere i feel like the deep state and all those weird people are kind of creeping around. They don't know where we are. They know we're out there. They see the poll numbers. They see all this stuff. They don't know how to get at us. Uh, and, and they're and they're confounded and frustrated. And I, I'm worried that th- they're trying to find us. And they're going to do something bad once they find us. I'm, I'm worried that it's not going to stop just at President Trump and the indictments. If they can somehow get at us, I think they're going to do it. Oh, I would agree. Uh, first of all, it will uh, curtail your speech. I mean, that tends to be the route they use. Yeah. The free speech, the fine things of hate speech. I mean, that's really, there needs to be a real honest discussion in our culture about, do we really believe hate speech is a thing? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a little landmine for some people because there are a lot of people who buy into it. But you, everybody's going to encounter speech they find offensive. That's an unavoidable reality if you're willing to have a free exchange of ideas and conversations and raise questions and criticisms and the whole category of each speech. And I understand why it developed in our culture and everything with trying to deal with certain crimes and encourage people not to commit them. It's another one of those things where maybe it had a good intention starting out, but man, it has become a major headache and nightmare now, and it needs to be 
re-examined and we need to look at the whole nature of discourse and dialogue in our culture. But yeah, they, they would love curtail our speech, then they're, you know, curtail your spending habits, man. That's why they'd like a digital currency. So they can track everything you do, everything you support. When they don't like it, push a button and you're out of your money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, there's, there's no doubt about that. So, Father Tom, uh, uh, Sunday, one, another one of uh, the Bible's greatest hits. Oh, yeah, uh, the seeds. Yeah, the seeds, the Gospel of Matthew. Really, really love that one. It's powerful. It, you know, it's funny because it's long, and it's one of those things that it doesn't have to be as long, I, I thought, because it goes right down to the, the, the three options for the for the for the soil that you may be or the seed that you may be uh, right. receiving and it seemed like it was a short version which is yeah. just a parable i mean just the uh, parable yeah usually it doesn't get read right the explanation that follows by jesus is what gets makes it longer right where he explains why he talks in parables and then the apostles are like uh what does this mean well let me spell it out for you yeah <laughs> right yeah, they're a little, they're they're not exactly the sharpest bunch of tools but <laughs> they do listen to them and love them well, I love I love how he actually climbs into a boat. You know, he's always always meeting them right. where they are. You know, right. Uh, and so, so I guess the takeaway from that, I I, I thought it was interesting, uh, is is what I, I guess the the question you ask yourself after reading that and hearing that is what kind of soil are you? Right. You know what I mean? Like, that should be the question. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're a believer, if you're sitting there in church listening. You have to hope you're in the good soil, the 30, 60, 100 fold. But always be aware that, you know, right next to you are the three examples that can uh, you can slide back into through through apathy and inattentiveness and presumption. So you always want to keep vigilant that we don't get choked off by the weeds, burned up by the sun or, or eaten up by the birds. Yeah. Yeah. That's really such a beautiful one. And and the I was more intrigued by the first seed that one that kind of grows almost in haste because it it plants and finds a place grows but doesn't have any real sustainability oh yeah are you talking about the ones that get scorched by the sun yeah the the one that that gets scorched by the sun that the well the uh there's one the scorched by the sun then there's the one that is uh uh, that are ultimately overtaken by the thorns that grow Mm -hmm. Right. Well, there's a first one, too, that's eaten by the birds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the middle one you're talking about with the, with uh, Scorched by the Suns is, you know, Jesus, our Lord explains this. It's trials and tribulations caused by the faith make people full. And they do. And God bless them. And I hope they find a way back to our Lord. But, uh, you know, God is there to be with us and everything. And His grace is providential and abundant, but... He's not, you know, bewitched. He's not wiggling his nose and fixing our problems. Yeah. That, that. He's, he's respecting our free will, and he's inviting us to trust, to deeper faith all the time. That's really what trials and tribulations, why God allows them, is because they are an invitation to deepen our faith. Right, right. Because he, could... he doesn't will them. We talked about that last week. He doesn't will it in your life, but he does permit it. Right. Because that plant, you know, kind of grows right away, and it's all flowery yeah. and rocking and rolling and ready to go and all happy with itself. And then this sun comes out and because it doesn't have a real foundation, right. it's scorched. 
Yeah, it's a well, good yeah, one. I mean, that's always a problem with enthusiasm in the faith. It's a good thing, but it can be very superficial. Yeah. I mean, uh, real faith, you know, does roll up its sleeves and get its hands dirty and is willing to sacrifice and always look at the long, the, the long haul. A pilgrimage of faith is just beginning now, and I've got to keep at it till the day I clock out. Right. Well, and ultimately, as it relates to the thorns and their growth, I mean, and the and the the key is 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 that you know you uh, if you don't have that grounding and you don't have that faith or that mm-hmm. good soil, you know, all the thorniness of of life will will overtake you, will get you, will it'll, it'll yeah. be Peter absolutely. on the water, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You will get you will get suffocated. You know, you get you'll get lost and you'll lose sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, because of the immediate picture being too much. Yeah, it was. It's it's interesting how and we talked about this a little bit last week, but how the the Jesus spoke in in, in terms of meeting everywhere they were and, and and spoke in language that everybody could understand. So when we talk about the 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 wine. Uh, skin and and all these things mm-hmm. that people could identify with automatically the yoke and all that stuff that we they talked about, right? Yeah, you didn't mention they're familiar with how difficult farming is. I mean, this is a little humble note. Jesus talking about the sower being the word and everything. Uh, only one in four is successful, so we should be uh, patient and humble about our own results. There's going to be a lot of seeds we cast out that don't yeah bear fruit. Right, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's kind of a shame, but that's the reality. Right, that kind of touches on the other parable where he talked about the uh, farmer, I guess, the who was impatient with the plantings, you know, and and gave them another year. I guess remember that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the and I, I'll never forget talking to you about that one day. And you were you were saying that you know it's God is patient, but he's not, but but he's not it's, that doesn't it isn't forever you know he you know that, that whole parable about giving the plant another year to grow oh, yeah, something exactly. uh, but but it, it it wasn't like indefinite, right? Oh well, you know this is something for all believers to know and all of humanity. We are. Moving ever close to our lives to a day of judgment and a day where either you are steeped in God's mercy and you are thankful for it, or you are facing his justice and nobody can stand before his justice. We'll be in a period of justice when we get to the kingdom, but for the believer, the doorway to justice is mercy, and for the defiant, justice is terrible and frightening. It is the thing that makes Satan and demons tremble. Yeah. Well, I always remember this. I hope it's not sacrilege where somebody once said, you know, uh, Jesus loves you. He's not in love with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. not sacrilege. He says he's not in love with you. He does love you. He wants your good, but he's not, you know. Yeah. He wants you to get your act together. That's, as I said, one of my favorite workout shirts when I go exercise up at Planet Fitness was. Jesus loves you and a big smiley face under it, but he wants you to get your crap together. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, you know? Well, Father Tom Miller, it's always great to talk to you, buddy. I know we're in the last uh, couple weeks of your tenure there at Immaculate yep. Heart of Mary, and so uh, a lot of lot of bitter... It's been a wonderful assignment. Loved it out here. Yeah. great. So much gratitude here at the end. Right on. I know they love you out there, too, and we'll miss you, and 
the other folks who are receiving you are very lucky. Uh, and I know you feel that same way uh, about them. So, Father Tom Miller, thanks so much for being with us, man. And have a great rest of your week. You too, Jamie. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. All love right. You. That is, love you too. That is Father Tom Miller, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, soon to be on to different places. And that's how it goes. He's been so amazing in, in dealing with this transition. And uh, so a couple of weeks from now, we'll be talking to him from another church. So follow up on that. 314-566-6104. It's Common Sense Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.